0: This is Go Forth, a podcast about entrepreneurship and connection made by a sisterhood of creative women. I'm Amanda. And I'm Amelia. And we're from Forth, Chicago. Today we're talking with Patrice Perkins. Patrice is the principal attorney and founder of Creative Genius Law, a boutique law firm that specializes in legal strategy for creative entrepreneurs and innovative businesses. She's worked closely with the Chicago Artists Coalition, the Chicago Urban League, and a number of local arts organizations, and she helps her clients come to see the law as a tool for building boundaries that protect rather than impede their businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today, Patrice. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Super excited about this. Awesome.
0: Let's just start at the beginning and talk about
1: how you founded Creative Genius Law. So, I think this was actually always in my blood. Um, my very um, first business venture um, was actually in a children's newspaper for the kids in my neighborhood. Oh. And I was the editor in chief. I employed a staff of My um, friends at dance school. Um, I was in (laughs) ballet, and um, I was also the treasurer. Um, Well, we called it a treasurer, um, as opposed to like the CFO. Um, But I was over (laughs) the money, and so that was my very first kind of entree into, I think, creative entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Um, I published, edited, wrote some pieces, and was over the money from a very young age. And so, um, fast forwarding to 20-something plus years later, um, with Creative genius Law, the um, inspiration behind it really came from, in my personal network, um, I hung around with all creatives. Um, that was who I loved. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that no one had an attorney. And the reason was because they saw the law as being restrictive um, and as the Thing that would restrict their creativity when they just wanted to be creative. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they were absolutely right looking at how um, the legal industry typically operates. You think of it as you hire a lawyer to put a fire out to keep you out of trouble to keep you mm-hmm. from doing things and so I, my thought was well what if we approach it in a way where the law is used as a way to create opportunities for people as opposed to being restrictive and so that was really um, kind of the first um, thought behind it the second thought was that creative entrepreneurs work so hard mm-hmm. and I saw specifically intellectual property as a way to not require us to work so hard, um, to let our creativity go to work for us in the long term.
0: Mm -hmm. So what kinds of work are you doing with and for creative business owners?
1: So it typically starts, um, first off, all of my I would say at least 80% of the clients that I see are working a full-time job and really trying to transition um, Mm -hmm. the side creative business into full-time. And so it usually starts with a conversation around how to navigate that and then – around choosing a business structure that makes sense um they usually are bringing up collaborations that they have in the works and i'm always saying well you know we need a contract for that so discussing um what types of contracts are needed um for the collaborations that they're involved with and then my favorite piece of the puzzle is discussing trademark and copyright work because that is how um i help them protect their creativity for the long term
0: you've already spoken then a little bit about how a lot of, maybe not most, Mm -hmm. but a lot of creative entrepreneurs see the law as Mm -hmm. restrictive, but you're trying to make it more approachable, more Mm -hmm. as like a protector and even um, help enable them to build and grow businesses. Mm -hmm. Can you give us like an
1: example of how that might work for a creative Mm -hmm. business? Yeah, absolutely. So I review contracts pretty regularly. So um, in my world, it could be, a contract from a blogger who has an opportunity with the brand um, or um, any creative that has an opportunity with a brand to be maybe an ambassador and so when I'm reviewing the contract I'm not just reviewing it for these are the things that you can't do or you shouldn't do in that relationship I'm reviewing it for where I see opportunities so if there is um, a clause that um, details out how the brand can maybe use my client's likeness. I'm saying, well, okay, they want to use your likeness for a year, but they're paying x. Well, what other financial opportunity can we create for you in that situation because that's a lot of that's a huge ask for a little bit of money. And so I'm looking forward as opposed to just the fact that they may tweet today or they may, mm-hmm. you know, draft a blog post today. So one of the things it seems like you're describing kind of in this contract
0: negotiation Mm -hmm. process is helping entrepreneurs create boundaries Mm -hmm. with their clients. Could you talk a little bit about the ways that Mm -hmm. the legal strategies you use for creating boundaries between entrepreneurs and clients? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. So my favorite is in the context of um, just think about a client agreement, um, regardless of um, the specific service that the creative is providing, mm-hmm. and so one of the first things I actually um, like to talk about in that agreement is: Do you have a client communication policy? Um, because mm-hmm. everyone expects you to be accessible all the time, yeah. and if they send you a mess, a DM, you know, on <laughs> Facebook, they expect you to respond. And so I think that that's just the world that we're in right now, and so. Maybe 10 years ago, we didn't have to think about something like a statement in our contract that says, well, I'm not available via direct message, you know, (laughs) for client (laughs) inquiries. However, you can email me or call this number. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think just in terms of basic communication, um, it's been really helpful. Um, To help my clients set boundaries in that way. But also in terms of um, just how much their um, clients expect out of them. So, for instance, um, the graphic design clients, you know, or my graphic design clients, um, a routine issue is that um, clients want unlimited revisions. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a boundary issue. And so my approach is that you manage the expectation up front. Because you address it in the contract up front. And then when you need to refer back to that, it shouldn't be a surprise to the client. Um, so it's all about just um, identifying what's important to you as an individual. I think that also when we have a one person shop, we start to kind of see our business as ourselves. And so almost um, taking the opportunity to really see the business as a separate persona versus one in the same. And so what do I want, um, you know, in terms of boundaries from clients or even other creatives that I may be working with, um, is a key question for contracts.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you say, so I, you, I believe are a one woman shop, kind of, well, kind of, mm, no, not really. I <laughs> no, not take anymore. For that. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, did you start as a one-woman shop? Yeah, so the reason why I say kind of is I do have a support team. So I do mm-hmm. have a legal assistant, I do have an extern. Okay. And so um, they are very helpful mm-hmm. with all things operations. Um, I am the only attorney, so that's why it just...
0: is. Yeah, kind of. Um,
1: but yes, yeah, so to answer your question, yes, I did start as a one-person shop.
0: So then when you just spoke to kind of disconnecting yourself Mm -hmm. from your business, how have you been able to do that in your own career?
1: Well, number one, when you're the protector of someone else, um, it can be very draining. It Mm -hmm. can be depleting. And so um, what I've had to do is figure out things that allow me to not be so depleted by the end of the work day. And so if I am having, you know, for lack of a better word, an aggressive conversation with another attorney then I've realized, well, I need to go have a walk after, or, you know, I need to sit with my crystals mm-hmm. and some great music, yeah. you know, afterwards. And so it's really just being um, aware about where um, to create that boundary for myself. And if I don't do it, then I'm not Um, you know I'm not in a position to really serve well the clients that I need to serve so it's really important Um, I met recently another creative service provider and she talked about the same thing setting boundaries and one thing that she has is an alert on her phone where it just reminds her um, to take like a mindfulness break and mm-hmm. it goes off every afternoon at 1 PM. Cause she's like, that's when it starts to get really crazy and I just need to reel it in and just sit. And she does that no matter what. And I thought that was brilliant. So I'm actually trying to figure out other little things I can do throughout the day to, um, keep that boundary there. Definitely.
0: That's mm-hmm. a great, very helpful idea. Like mm-hmm. I should implement in my yeah.
1: life. Too. <laughs> we all should.
0: <laughs> um, one of the issues I think that a lot of creative entrepreneurs mm-hmm. come up against is that at some point they get the exciting and stressful opportunity to work with friends or family members, mm-hmm. whether it's designing for them, whether it's providing running legal counsel. Yeah. Um, how can they use legal strategies to create boundaries in those relationships too?
1: Mm-hmm. So that really comes down to um, being really clear about the roles and responsibilities of everyone the friends term business partner situations I've seen usually involve one person bringing a lot of talent and sweat equity to the table and the other person kind of being the money mm-hmm. behind the operation. Yeah. And, um, in you know, in my experience that never pans out, I think that, From that perspective, it just needs to be more evenly distributed Mm -hmm. um, because there's already just kind of an uneven power there. The person who's doing all of the work um, at some point will feel that they're doing all of the work, and Mm -hmm. I've never seen it play out any different. So what I would say is regardless of what the situation is, um, setting the roles and responsibilities up front, everyone should have something that they own in the business, meaning an area of responsibility that they own. Um, And um, I go from setting roles and responsibilities to talking about exit strategy. If this doesn't work, what is our plan? Um, And I think even just covering um, those two things are will put a lot of people in a better position, um, than they would have been minus that conversation. Do
0: you have any advice for someone, um, say like a graphic designer and mm-hmm. their best friend is like, Hey, oh. will you make this logo for me? And the designer wants to, um, give them a contract, even though they're best friends. Do you have any Mm -hmm. advice for somebody trying to navigate that sort of situation?
1: I say don't overthink it, just do it, because um, contracts are not intended to create, like, this scary, burdensome situation for people. It's really about navigating, helping you navigate the relationship, and managing expectations, and um, in most instances, um, well, I can't, My approach to contracts is that, um, you know, obviously if I write it, I write it for my client, but I also recognize that my client values these other relationships. And so we write it in a very collaborative way. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think just approaching it from that angle, I want to make sure that, um, you know, we're on the same page, that this works for the both of us. If there is anything in this contract that you'd like to Um, have a conversation about or you're not comfortable with, you know, let me know and we can talk about it. So I think approaching it so that it's um, collaborative from the beginning in that scenario is really important. And um, what I've seen is that people actually feel good around legitimizing things and making, you know, making them legit, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it people feel a sense of pride in that. And so, um, The script that I usually give to clients who actually ask me that exact same question is just say, well, hey, you know, I'm tightening up some things in the business, you know, um, this is something that I'm building for the long term, and this is a really important piece of it as a part of that. I have contracts now, and I'd like to give you one. I'll be emailing it to you tomorrow. (laughs) Something like that.
0: Yeah. That's an important but scary (laughs) step to take, I feel like. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Amelia here, and thinking about boundaries with Patrice, I kept coming back to a very simple quote that I've seen attributed to Oprah, to Anne Lamott, even to Cheryl Crow. But no matter who said it, I think its power stands. That quote says, no is a complete sentence. Now let's hear more from Patrice. So you've talked a lot about contracts then. Let's talk a little bit about a different kind of boundary that you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So you said you work on trademarks, which is a different way of setting kind of a boundary around Mm -hmm. part of your business. Can you talk a little bit more Mm -hmm. about trademarking?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I give the example that, you know, everyone, or maybe I just take too much credit for knowing too many brilliant people. But everyone um, is so creative, and they're creating these really um, just beautiful brands. And before you own the trademark associated with your brand, um, what you've created is a liability for yourself. Because if someone snatches your logo, or your brand name, or any of the images associated with it, um, you have to chase them. Or you're constantly peeking around online, making sure that no one is stealing your stuff. When you own the trademark, what that means is you now own an asset. So it's taking um, what I see as a um, potential liability and it's converting it into an asset that you actually own for the business. And so the main, first off, um, the things that are associated with your brand that can be registered or owned as a trademark is the logo, it's the brand name, it can be the tagline, um, it can be um, in some instances even a sound or a smell or a color. Um, and so, you know, that's pretty broad. And so, so to say you have the ownership of a trademark in it, what it means is that you have the exclusive ownership in your space. So you have the exclusive ownership associated with the thing that you do or sell. And that's really powerful. So it creates the boundary in that now if someone steals your logo, that's also your trademark. You, gotta, you have a clear pl- public record that says beyond a doubt she is the exclusive owner of this. And you slap them with that paperwork and usually that's it. Without it, you've got to do, ch- you know, you've got to chase, you got to try to get attorneys, and they're going to tell you, you should have had it registered. So what do you say to someone who's like
0: doing business, feeling great about it, hasn't taken the time or doesn't want to spend the money to trademark it so far?
1: It depends on what so far means for that person because if so far is I'm still filling this out, I think that's okay, you know, or if it means I'm still I'm not quite committed to pr- this particular logo yet, so I don't want to waste money on it. I think that's fine but as soon as you determine that you're committed to it and i told someone yesterday i said would you be pissed off if you saw someone like literally swipe your like swipe your same logo or this phrase that you're using Mm -hmm. and she said yeah so if your answer is yes to that question um then it's time for you to think about it and what i encourage um creative entrepreneurs to do is to not think about it as a cost in your business it's an investment Once you own the trademark, it's renewed every 10 years. It becomes becomes a line item on your business balance sheet. If you decide to sell your business down the road, you know, it's an asset that would have value. Or even if you decided to sell that particular brand at some point and not sell the business, you could do that. And so I think, you know, part of it is a mind shift in terms of looking at it as an investment and not necessarily a cost or an expense. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> that's
0: super helpful <laughs> in my head I'm like what do I need to trademark right now I must have good ideas about something
1: <laughs> I'm sure you do
0: <laughs> one of my questions for you and for mo- a lot of lawyers I meet that kind of work on their own mm-hmm. is I feel like law can sometimes be a really isolating practice you already mm-hmm. mentioned it can mm-hmm. get aggressive it yeah. can be really intense mm-hmm. um, how do you create community in your business in your life
1: This question is very relevant for me um, right now because I actually I moved my office um, last August and I was in an art gallery previously and I'd always been in an art gallery for my office space. I moved it because what I realized was that artists are coming in at night to work Mm -hmm. or late in the day. I'm coming during the day. And so there was literally no one for me to associate with during the day. And mm-hmm. I'm an introvert, so for me to actually crave that sort of like interaction during the day I felt mm-hmm. was really compelling. So I moved my office to a space where it wasn't too corporate, but mm-hmm. I could still have that water cooler conversation because I missed mm-hmm. um, the community in that sense.
0: Um, how do you think being a woman has impacted your work?
1: Hmm. That is a tricky question. So it's impacted my work in that I actually try to approach um, lawyering in the exact same way um, as if I were a man. So Mm -hmm. I try not to let gender impact the way that I approach my actual job. Um, It has impacted me in, I guess, an ancillary way because I feel um, a deep obligation to really make myself available to women attorneys who are younger than me and who are wanting to do similar work um what i found was that for i mean at least five years it was very hard for me to actually find women attorneys um to connect with mm-hmm. not because um they didn't necessarily want to they were just too busy or they didn't um know how to make the time amidst being busy mm-hmm. and so um what i said the promise that i made to myself was that I don't care how busy I am, I'll always make the time because it's a very different experience being a woman attorney and a male attorney. And I never want um, any of the ladies who are coming behind me to feel like they couldn't find anyone to lean on or who got them. So that's been a really, um, I would say, active part of my work mission is just making myself available when people shoot me an email and say, Hey, can we have a call? Sure, we can have a call or can we have coffee? Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, that's kind of how yeah, that answers the question. Yeah. You're
0: <laughs> taking on a mentorship role yeah. for women. Yeah. Even if like your approach to law is pretty like gender neutral and attempts mm-hmm. to be very gender neutral. <laughs> yeah, the only word I have. As
1: as as gender neutral as it can be. Mm-hmm.
0: Go Forth is a project of Fourth Chicago, a community focused on connecting creative, entrepreneurial women through seasonal events, panels, workshops, and more. Find show notes for this episode at fourthchicago.com slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe in iTunes to receive each interview as it's released. Thanks to Chicago band Tiny Fireflies for the music. And until next time, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fourth Chicago.